This week's episode is brought to you by the Castle of Uncle Phantasmo. Uncle Phantasmo. Uncle Phantasmo. It's awesome. It's a fucking board game. It's a really sweet game. You should play it. The Castle of Uncle Phantasmo. Good morning and welcome to Breakfast with the Beak. I am your host, Johnny Goodtimes. Joining me is my sidekick. Hey, I'm Dr. Eisenberg. Good morning, Beaknicks. Good morning indeed, Beaknicks. Once again, we are coming at you from Brooklyn where it is hot as fuck and we've got the windows open. Enjoy the background noise. Yerp, yerp, yerp. Johnny, uh, uh, a lot happened this week. Indeed it did. Since we last talked to the the listeners. Let's see. Uh, The Western United States is on fire. Yeah, I heard about uh, that. The Supreme Court upheld Obamacare. I heard about that. And uh, Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes got divorced. Now that one's funny. It is, it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those other two aren't funny. The other two are like, you know, people are on fire, that sucks. And, you know, a lot of people don't have health care, that sucks. But, but Katie Holmes, you know, not off her leg to get out of the cage, and that's awesome. Yeah, you know? she finally got free. It's, yeah. it's great. I mean, I guess they can sew it back on. She's got money, so... Yeah, no, she's got options. Yeah, I mean, it'll be a little shorter than the other one, but whatever. I mean, she's always in heels, so... It's okay. It'll yeah. be okay. You can get prosthetics for all kinds of shit now. Maybe you should get those fucking uh, Olympic runner legs. Oh, those like, those fucking awesome Paralympic legs that, like, you can do those giant 10-foot inch strides in. Yeah, those crazy scoops that, you yeah. know, you, like, leap in, like, some kind of alien... Bird cyborg or something. Yeah, you look like one of those uh, those dinosaurs from Jurassic Park and the the big herd that are all running together. You know. Yeah. And then the T Rex comes out and eats one, but not you because you've got magic legs. Yeah. Yeah. So the future's looking up for Katie Holmes. Yeah, that's Katie pretty cool. Holmes gets magic legs. Yeah. So yeah, good for her. Yeah, totally. You know, I mean, it's like maybe she'll be allowed to be in movies and stuff again and and pick out her own food. Always a plus. Yeah. <laughs> So. Finally, uh, have to stop chasing the, you know, thetans and all that shit. Yeah, who needs yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. congratulations, Katie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway. Yeah, Tom will be fine. He'll be, yeah. He'll, he'll be, he's Tom Cruise, he's always fine. Yeah, he's, he's, he's always super happy. He's way more fine than he has any logical reason to be. Nobody, so. nobody that short should be that happy. Well, I don't well, think that enters into it. Okay. I just, I don't think anyone should be that happy, period. He's super upbeat. It's weird. It's it's unnerving. Yeah. It's off-putting. A little bit. Yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> Enough of uh, these jokes from 2005. Let's do a new show. Hey, all right. All right. I'm just saying, it was our last chance to do any complicated material, so... Well, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a whole new... So, that was the end of it. Right. All right. Today, <laughs> let's do a topic. Oh, hey, yeah. yeah. Okay. We, we every week we talk about topics on the show. Yeah. Sent in by you, the listeners. You, the listeners. Yes. Yeah. You can email them to topics at the dot org. And uh, I don't want to name names, but a certain uh, veteran topic guy just sent in a whole bunch. Uh huh. So uh, if you guys want, you know, your moment of glory on the show, and don't just want it to be his or her show. You'd better send some in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, send as many as you want. You know. Yeah, if it's not you, you know it's not you, and you can send some in. Yeah. So yeah. Maybe maybe you're one of the listeners that hasn't sent a topic in a while, or at all, or maybe you're one of the listeners that has like a million topics that you know are under backlog. Yeah. You know, if if that's the case, then uh, you're good. Yeah. No. We and you can it. still send us more, whatever. Yeah, yeah. No. If you think, well, I'm not part of the club, I don't get to send in a topic. Yes, you do. We welcome it. We love Stranger's Topics. We put them right in the middle of the list where they're most likely to get rolled on. All seven billion humans on the planet Earth 
are eligible to send us topics, as well as any intelligent extraterrestrial people also listening to the show. Uh, preferably in a language we know. Otherwise, we're just going to guess. Yeah. We're just going to go know, off we, it. We're just going to go phonetically. We so. have to be able to read it. Yeah. So that's the, that's really the only caveat there. Yeah. Is we have to be able to read your topic. Well, let's pick a readable topic this week. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Okay, that is a 29. Hey, what's topic number 29, Johnny? Topic number 29 is Why Billy Corgan? <laughs> Submitted by Nick in Philadelphia. Thanks, Nick. Thanks. That's yeah. uh well that's written down. And yeah. I, I you know Yeah, he doesn't just say Billy Corgan, he says why Billy Corgan? That's kind of the, the downfall of reading topics is you, you lose that inflection. Because mm-hmm. I see that could mean three possible things, right? It could be sort of like like hurt and confused, like why Billy Corgan? I feel like there would have been a comma. Or it could be dismissive, right? Like, why Billy Corgan? Yeah. Or or it could be sexy. Like, why Billy Corgan? Why don't you come on up to my hotel room after the show? So, like, I feel like Nick could mean any of those, theoretically. I, I feel like he meant the middle one, but maybe less dismissive than you intended to be. <laughs> okay. Like, well, you know. Why Billy Corgan? Why Billy Corgan? Oh. Of all the Of all the things in the world, why that guy? All right. That's, yeah. Okay, sure. And that's a good question, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I guess a little background, if the name is not immediately recognizable to you, yeah. Billy Corgan, uh, lead singer of the Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's where you know him from. Funny little bald potato-headed man. He's fairly tall, isn't he? I don't know. I, 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 I can't imagine him being tall with that head on him. I don't know. Yeah, he's bald now. He's yeah, been, no, I, he's been bald since like 1995. Well, he shaves it. I don't know how bald he actually is. He's been shaving his head spear bald since 1995. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's not a great skull, but he's sticking with it, you know, and that's part of his deal. And I can I can respect that. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's a uh, an accomplished musician. Uh, got kind of a he's a lead singer, but he's got kind of a whiny nasally voice. Yes. Yeah. Um, but he makes it work because what his voice is very good for. And what his band was very good at is uh, going from very quiet to very loud, you know, quiet verse, loud chorus, or vice versa. The know? man can scream, the yeah. man can whisper. And yeah. that's that's really what you need for the type of music they played. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and frankly, they were the best at it. Smashing Pumpkins, uh, founded in 1988, first album, 91, and they've been off and on... Latest album came out a couple weeks ago. Yes, they did, which so. is probably what prompted the submission of this topic. I would assume, yeah, because yeah. you know there there was a time when I wasn't thinking about Billy Corgan anymore, but I was a huge fucking fan in the mid nineties. Oh, who wasn't? I mean, <laughs> I say they formed in eighty eight. I and most of the world at large first heard of him in nineteen ninety three. Yeah, um, I remember uh, on MTV the video for the song today. Oh, Started yes, playing yes, with yes. the fucking uh, ice cream truck. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was their first big fucking hit. Big, big hit. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, like you still hear that song everywhere all the time now. I mean, oh yeah. And the thing about 1993, I went back and looked up just a list of popular alternative rock songs in 1993. Yeah, and it's fucking everybody. Yeah, that you remember from that scene. It's, you know, Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots and Nine Inch Nails and the Lemonheads. Yeah, if you were to try to make a period piece about life in 1993, this would be the soundtrack you wish you could afford. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
this would be the soundtrack that when people hear it, they'll go, whoa, whoa, way too on the nose. There's no way all those songs came out that year. Yeah, no, it was all that year, okay? You had, like, The Breeders. That was the year everyone knew about the band Green Jello. Yeah. Okay? Holy shit, Green Jello, yeah. man. You all just blew my mind. the same fucking year, 1993. Yeah. Big so, fucking year. I mean, that, that was, like, kind of the year I, like... I mean, I knew... Music. I listened to the radio when I was a little kid because what else are you going to do in the Midwest? You play outside. But yeah, and that wasn't big yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, to your to your ultimate advantage. But <laughs> yeah, it worked out okay in the end. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. But it. Uh, I, I feel like '93 was kind of the year I really started like getting into music, right. and it was when the fucking alternative rock scene just exploded. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, that was the time when when pop music was. Openly embracing what had once been the fringe, right? You know? Yeah, I mean, not just rock radio or alternative radio or college radio, but pop radio had these bands on it. You know, like the station that played fucking Mariah Carey or whatever. You know, yeah, was also play or you know fucking Whitney Houston doing the Bodyguard soundtrack. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, you'd get "I Will Always Love You," and then it would go into fucking "Smells Like Teen Spirit." Right, well, that was 94, but yeah. No, that or was 91. No, it was 91, well, you're right. It didn't really break till 92, but whatever. Yeah, it, it got airplay in 92, but I mean, like, right before that, you had, like, New Kids on the Block. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, we went from fucking New Kids on the Block and hair metal It to, was a big shift. Yeah. yeah. And these <laughs> bands had been around, like, m- most of the scenes that kind of, like, sparked, or most of the bands that kind of sparked grunge... Yeah. You know, formed in like the mid '80s, you, your Pixies yeah. and your Replacements, yeah. and those guys, and they were just kind of underground and cool and influential till early '90s comes around, and just boom. And of course, all the bands they influenced, you know, just got ridiculously huge and talked about them in interviews and stuff, and right. that created demand for their music. And yeah, yeah, no, it was really a, a, a genuinely fascinating time for for music. It was it was fucking Seattle. It was flannel shirts. It was Claire Danes. It certainly was Claire Danes. Yeah. Now something that the listeners may have noticed. Okay. And something that I'm sure the gentleman who submitted the topic has noticed. Mm-hmm. We've been very positive so far. We've had a lot of good things to say about the Smashing Pumpkins. A lot about of great Billy, memories of that time about period. Billy Corgan about music from that time. But it's not all nostalgia and fucking you know roses and bong hits. The topic is, why Billy Corgan? Well, people tend to continue living. They do. You know, I mean... For good or for ill, they do. We remember Kurt Cobain a certain way because he died in 1994. You know, we remember Notorious B.I.G. because he died in his 20s in like 96 or 97. Yeah. Yeah. But you get my meaning, though. I I do, I mean, you know, it's the same reason we remember James Dean the way he does. Marilyn Monroe at her peak. Exactly. And and the thing is, hanging over the the music scene of the early 90s and the mid-90s is the the issue of the fact that we don't really know what Nirvana would have done after that, had had things gone differently. Well, right. Because, you know, at that point, by the time Kurt Cobain died, grunge had become... I mean, the word grunge was a commercial invention to begin with. Right. And the, the, the scene itself had become sort of uh, co-opted by, you know, any band that wanted to get a deal just had to have the guitar kind of sludgy and the vocals kind of hunger dunger dangy. I mean, it was and, a good uh, time to be a grunge band. Oh, absolutely. Like, you could get, you know, because that was like record companies were still making tons of money back then. 
And every label had a hundred imprints. Absolutely. That were just signing, you know, niche grunjacks yeah. left and right. But the point is, at that point, the people who had sort of, you know, brought that scene to the forefront were aware that, you know, it was sort of moving beyond them now, and they had to adapt, and they had to evolve, and ultimately Kurt Cobain didn't because he was dead. Oh, right. Well, yeah, you start your fucking career, you know, where everybody thinks you're a piece of shit, mm-hmm. and then a few years to, you're a few years down the line, you're packing arenas, Yeah, there's fuck tons of teenagers screaming your name. MTV can't get enough of you. And to a guy like Co- Cobain, that must have been just yeah. a mindfuck. Like, what? You well, don't hate me? It's very well documented that it was a mindfuck. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, Corgan felt the same way in, in a lot of ways. If you listen to, to uh, their first record, Gish, in 91, yeah. it's like, it's that fucking uh, Chicago garage thing. Yeah. It's a great album, but it's... It's 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 heavy. Yeah. A lot of angry guitars. Yeah. A lot of just young rage, and you know it's yeah. dense. I mean, in a way. you know, going back and listening to especially the first two Smashing Pumpkins albums now. Right. You know, I hadn't for a while, and then a while ago I did listen to them again. Uh-huh. You're much more aware of how many sort of uh, grunge signifiers, sort of grunge almost cliches, are present on those albums. Sure. And. You know, at the time, you didn't notice. At the time, they sounded completely original compared to all these other bands because in 1992-93, asking people to to notice sort of the, the tropes of grunge in music is like asking a fish to notice water. It's uh, Well, yeah. I mean, it was all new back then. Exactly. And, and it was just so everywhere. It was you, We were all immersed in it constantly. Right. Or at least, you know, you and I were. I don't know about anyone else. <laughs> well, I'd say people of our generation slash demographic. Absolutely. You know. But at the same time, Billy Corgan, following, you know, the death of Kurt Cobain, the, the media frenzy over what will be the next Nirvana, where does this style of music go from here? Right. Pulled off. He and the Smashing Pumpkins. I really don't know whose creative input had to do with what part of things. Right. Because... Frankly, back then, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have everyone pretending they were a fucking insider. All we had was the product. Right. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, at the, at the time, I mean, the original Smashing Pumpkins, you know, James Eha, Darcy Retsky, Jimmy Chamberlain. Yes. You know, that was the original lineup. They got together, and they were there at first several albums. Yes. There was no trouble until the thing you're leading up to. Yes. Well, what I'm getting to is they pulled off one of the most successful sort of evolutions of their form of music... Giant double album, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Melancholy was yeah. fucking epic. It was, and I mean, we 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 kind of knew it was huge right away. Yeah, because it wasn't just another grunge album. It was uh, a clear step forward. It had these these sort of uh, classical overtones, these sort of glam and arena rock overtones, these very propulsive forward momentum singles. You know. Oh yeah. And it did. It sort of drew on, you know, it drew on the past, it drew on the recent past, you know, and it was just this monumental achievement in terms of moving these things, you know, moving this kind of music forward. Oh, yeah, just fucking lovely. I mean, Tonight, Tonight, 1979, Zero, Bold with Butterfly Wings, just boom. And these are four very different sounding songs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you know, and that album, that double album is kind of all across the board. It's all good, but there's a lot of different sounds on it. I mean, if you're talking about kind of experimenting beyond your sound, this was a fucking triumph. In yeah. terms of that. Like, no song on that album sounds bad. Exactly. Yeah. 
And then, you know, meanwhile, a lot of the other bands of the era were, you know, sinking into drugs and despair and death, or they were, you know, just doubling down on the grunge, or, like, Eddie Vedder was trying to be fucking, I don't know, Neil Young or something. I don't know what he's trying to do. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, and, you know, you got some, some jumping off points. I mean, Dave Grohl stands back and says, oh, let's just have a rock band. Yeah, let's just you know, have a fun, goofy kind of rock band. Yeah, he makes know. the Foo Fighters. The Foo yeah. Fighters are cool. Yeah. I don't know that they're groundbreaking, but there's really nothing wrong with the Foo Fighters album. Yeah, no, it's you just know. straight up, you know, let's do, you know, technically proficient rock. Yeah, <laughs> so, which is yeah. fine. There's nothing wrong with rock albums. But, so, but yeah, Foo Fighters is, is, is a fine band. Yes. I wouldn't call it super groundbreaking. No. You know, and you had this, this lull in the 90s. At the or the end of the nineties, there's a lot of crap coming out. A lot of I mean, a uh, lot of shitty post grunge bands just kind of growling into the mic. A lot of uh, sort of prefab pop acts, you know. Right. I mean, um, up until the White Stripes got some traction, mm-hmm. it was like five years of who gives a shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But meanwhile, uh, poor Billy Corgan, I say. For, this is the last part of the story in which he is sympathetic. <laughs> you know, well, it got weird. Yeah, he now has this reputation as the guy who's moving things forward, the guy who knows the direction that 90s alternative was going to go. That bit him in the ass a little bit. It bit him in the ass hard because he decided, well, our drummer's in rehab, let's do a Depeche Mode album with a drum machine. Yeah, that's the thing about Adore, which was the fucking follow-up to Melancholy. Indeed. It's weird. I mean, it starts out strong. It was he experimented with this a little bit because he has a song called "I" on the um, Lost Highway soundtrack. Yeah, and that was kind of the like bridge to yeah. the whole Adore album. Yeah, and like Avi Adore is a pretty sweet song. Yeah, because but, well, I have a theory about that song, but go on. But the, well, the whole fucking thing about that album is it's like he was trying to do like a Cure album, a Depeche Mode album. Yeah. Like almost a Smiths album oh, yeah, yeah. kind of thing, and he doesn't have the voice for it, okay? The, no, the, you need to be a proper English schoolboy. The man can scream. The man can fucking rock. Yeah. When he starts getting precious or sweet yeah. or kind of like thoughtful, that whiny, nasally voice just comes out in force and is fucking annoying. Yeah, and that's exactly why... Uh, the, the title track on Adore is the only song on that album that works for me. Right. Because that song, he's being creepy on purpose. It's supposed to be sort of unpleasant. It's supposed to make you squirm a little bit. It's you a know? good creepy song. Exactly. Yeah. But when he's, when he's just trying to be, you know, earnest and thoughtful and mournful and stuff, then it comes off as creepy by accident. Like he's maybe just a creep. You get a third of the way through that album and it starts getting fucking annoying. It does. You start thinking, maybe this guy, maybe it's not an act. Maybe he's an asshole. Yeah, kind of. Maybe he's a fucking monster. Right, right, right. (laughs) So that was like, eh, not as good as the last few. We don't know what we're doing with this guy. Yeah. They're still going. They're still going, right? Eventually, Jimmy Chamberlain comes back from rehab. They let him back in the band. And they do, they go one more time. Yeah. One more big fucking album push. Yes. Right? Machina. Machines of God. Yes. Now, I... This album, to me, is uh-huh. what Star Trek V is to you. I'm okay. the one person who likes it. All right. All right. Well, it starts out incredibly strong. It starts out with this one-two punch of two of the best songs of their career. You know, <laughs> I love Everlasting Gage. Yes. It is a brutal fucking rock song. Yes. You know, and it's, it's a defiant fucking spit-at-the-sun Fuck you, world, I didn't die rock song. Yeah, yeah. It is It is angry and triumphant. Yeah. And if he had held that intensity and that passion 
throughout Machina, yeah. it could have been a great album. Yeah, but the, <laughs> but the cracks start to show about halfway through. It, it Again, it gets tedious to listen to. It gets like, tedious, and it gets so sort of self-consciously artsy that it kind of collapse under its own bloated portentousness, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh... And uh, this is the same time around when he stops taking input from the rest of the band. And this is indeed the part, the, the period in the band's history where you start to realize that maybe this isn't a band so much as it is three very talented musicians and the man who is holding them hostage. Right, right. He starts doing the thing. Here's the thing. Nobody gets to be Trent Reznor except Trent Reznor, okay? Yeah. Because Trent Reznor is... He started out working alone and brought in musicians when he needed a touring band. Yeah, yeah. His It's called Nine Inch Nails, okay? But it might as well just be called Trent Reznor, okay? Because it's just him, and then he hires musicians to play with him. Yeah, they're, it's a band for hire, and they know what it is going in. Yeah. Billy Corgan had a band. His three friends from Chicago that he started up with, and yeah. they worked together and collaborated and made it big. Suddenly, he wants to go in his basement, write all the parts, record all the parts, mix them together, and then say, here's our album, uh, you know, you guys continue your coffee break. Yeah. Which is not cool. And it starts seeming like Billy Corgan just wants to lock himself in a room and every few hours stick his head out and be like, James, I need you to record a guitar part, get in here. Yeah. And then kick him out as soon as it's done and not show anyone... You know, the the masterpiece until it's concluded. And yeah, which is, is when you start getting albums with their heads up their own asses, so to speak. Yeah, no, I mean, like Machina had all these, uh, these weird embedded references in both the lyrics and in the liner notes... To uh, to alchemy and to the tarot and stuff and which is theoretically cool yeah if the album is enjoyable listen to all the way through yeah and it, it's not I mean like I said you've got everlasting gaze then you've got stand inside your love and then you've got a bunch of stuff where it's I mean it's, it's stuff that I find really interesting but at the same time it's not so much that I enjoy it the way I enjoy some of their other albums so much as I just find it kind of fascinating. <laughs> Yeah, regardless of how fascinating and, and potentially illuminating it is to the yeah. you know process of album making in general, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you just don't want to listen to it the whole way through. Well, I don't. Yeah, exactly. I mean, e- even I, who admits to liking the album, still just feels this need to sort of to sort of rationalize it, you know. And he does the same fucking thing at certain points, yeah. where he starts getting like he starts getting precious. Is the only word I can think of to describe it. Yeah. That sort of like, whatever, like dream rock thing. Yeah. It's kind of like, you're not Jimmy Buffett for shit's sake, okay? <laughs> uh, like, I'm not saying stick with one genre, but when you start out fucking rocking, yeah. I would like it if you would continue fucking rocking, or at least give me a better reason why you're not to. Yeah, it's like, I don't want to picture you as the little man who lives inside a music box. Yeah, that's yeah. just not appealing. It's like, we get it, Billy. You have a dollhouse full of little porcelain mice. You make them talk to each other. Oh, Lord Whiskerton, you simply must dine with us at Cheesewood Manor. You know, and we, that's wonderful. <laughs> but, you know, do an album all about that or don't, okay? Don't half-ass it. Don't, don't hedge your bets, okay? Yeah. And from there, right around the, time, the same time it started happening to The Simpsons... <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, th- then, you know, basically the pumpkins broke up. 
Uh-huh. I mean, there was a, a they, they made Machina Two, which, which was released via their website because no record company wanted to put out his, you know, another Vision. Yeah, after the last two Visions weren't super popular. And to to give you an idea of where he was mentally when he was working on this project, right? The album was subtitled "The Friends and Enemies of Modern Music," uh-huh. which that doesn't scream "I'm bitter." Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know, is there a stronger word for pretension? There is, but you don't need it, because he was just bitter. Fair enough. <laughs> you know, Fair he was just like, we are the people, you know, trying to, to do the good work of the music gods, and you're holding us back. <laughs> yeah. So James and Darcy are like, eh, no. Yeah. And by then, I think Darcy Retsky had already left. Uh, Billy Corgan also did a bunch of writing and production on, um, uh, all the whole albums after, uh, yeah. Cobain died for Courtney Love. Yes. And so from from Hall he recruited Melissa Oftermeyer yes. um, to play bass yes, he did. in in Darcy's place. Yeah. So and I mean you know Oftermeyer was cool, but like the, everyone was pretty much you know what I'm done and band yeah. broke up and, and Billy started a supergroup called Zune. It's called Zwan. I know Zwan. It predates the invention of the Zune. I know it does by several years. Yes. But, uh, but because last time we had this conversation, I looked it up. Right, right. <laughs> but I mean, it might as well be Zune for all it fucking matters. Because yeah. neither Zune nor Zwan is a word that is a word. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> I guess Zwan sounds sort of like swan. Yeah, well, at that <laughs> point, you might call it like Billy and the Swans. That's a terrible name, but it's better than Zwan. Or Billy and the Swans. I'd listen to Billy and the Swans. I mean, that sounds like a great barbershop quartet. <laughs> that would have been a better direction. Yeah, fucking do a barbershop album, Billy. Zwan put out one album, and this was yeah, oh three ish, I believe. Oh two, oh three, somewhere yeah, in that neighborhood. I think yeah. two thousand three, and he actually got Jimmy Chamberlain to to play on, and it was supposed to be a supergroup. I don't remember who else was in the supergroup. Exactly, it's a lot of people whose names I recognize, but I couldn't for the life of me tell you what they did. It's like the fucking Velvet Revolver thing. Uh, it's like, hey, we're still relevant, are ya? Yeah, hey. yeah, exactly. Do I do I care about this album? I don't I know. Didn't. If it's if Velvet Revolver comes on the radio, I may not turn it off, but I also may not be paying attention. Yeah, and I don't like them because they keep trying to do that whole, you know, we're carrying on the legacy of true rock bullshit. And I'm like, no, you're a bunch of fucking millionaires who got together and decided to fuck around and then act like you're doing that. Yeah, and you don't just get to come from grunge and say you're keeping them true rock. Not that grunge rock isn't rock, but it's like, you're not ACDC, okay? You are so not. ACDC... Records basically the same album every couple of years. Yeah, and it's just fun songs about fun rock songs about rocking. Yeah, and it's okay because it's ACDC. What do they sing about? They sing about rocking. Yeah, they rock. That's they what ACDC does. They sing about fucking TNT and Hell's Bells and Big Balls. Yeah, yeah. they're fucking you know dynamite. And yeah, what are those songs all about? They're about fucking rocking and balls. Yeah, that, and that's cool for ACDC. Yeah, fuck it. They do one thing well. And we don't need them to do other shit. I want to hear about their balls. I mean, I normally don't say that about other men, but... Right, right. You know. So, you want to talk about upholding the mantle of rock? There are already rock bands rocking. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah. And have been doing so consistently for like 30 years. But the point is, he did Zwan, he did this solo album, where, look, all you need to know about the solo album is that the cover is a close-up of his face and his hands, and you can sort of tell he's not wearing a shirt. Right, right, right. And I forget what the title of that album was. Ah, it doesn't matter. It was pretend. It was three words as one word. The future something. Oh yeah, the 
future fantastic. It wasn't that, but it was it something like that. that. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So. Yeah, but the thing is, like, okay, that the title and the cover art, yeah. it's like, oh, is this going to be Billy Corgan's Prince-inspired album? <laughs> I wish it was. It wasn't. The problem with the Zwan album and Corgan's solo album yeah. is they go right back to that fucking tedious, precious bullshit yeah. of the worst songs of Machina, and which are just... Yeah. Not that they're poorly constructed. He had good musicians. He knows how to compose a melody. Yeah. But they're not fun to listen to. They're not fun to listen to when he's doing them, yeah. Yeah. And then he started going publicly insane. And he started, <laughs> you know... Twitter wars with Courtney Love, and he started. He's got a feud with Pavement too, and I don't oh, know the details, Pavement. but yeah, that's picking a fight with Pavement is just weird. Yeah, it's like I mean, they've been around a long time, but yeah. they never really had a big hit. They're just yeah. kind of a you know a mainstay in their own little stable yeah. of fandom. I'm, exactly, and within their fandom, you've got you know some very dedicated people, and understandably so, they've done some wonderful things. I can't but... even comment on Pavement because I don't even really know their shit. But why would you pick? Why, a fight with pavement. Yeah, that doesn't like, make any sense. It's like, why would you pick a? That's like picking a fight with Mister Rogers. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> that's weird. But okay. Yeah, well, exactly. It's <laughs> fucking weird. Why would you do that? Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> and in 07... It's like, hey Fred, stay out of my neighborhood. No. In 07, Corgan decides, I'm gonna get the Smashing Pumpkins back together. It's and like, by getting the Smashing Pumpkins back together, right? What does that mean? Does that mean you're gonna go get? The original members of a band, or even the original fill-ins? You know, are you going to get James E. Hot, Darcy Resky, even Melissa Oftermeyer? Yeah. No. no. Not even Jimmy Chamberlain this no, time. No, no, no. He went out, and he found three kids who could sort of play like his old bandmates. Yeah. Yeah. But he just hired some musicians. Yeah. You know, just... I, I, I look at their names when I look at the new albums. Both their names and their faces are... Forgettable. It's just Teflon. It just slips right out of your brain. I still brain. don't know who they are. It does. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, it's one of those things where... They're the John Huntsman of, like, band replacements. They are. It's yeah. like... And when you actually look at, like, the Wikipedia pages for all four lined up... Yeah. You notice the, uh, the significant age gap between Corgan and the rest. Right. And that's always sort of the sign of a band's downfall. When one member of the band has a major age discrepancy, either much older or much younger than the rest of the band, because that means you're looking at a band dealing with between one and three replacements. He ended up doing the fucking Axl Rose thing, okay? Mm-hmm. Axl Rose decides to keep Guns N' Roses going without the original members. Okay? None of the original members, yeah. Right, right, right. Okay, I get that you're Axl Rose. It's not a Guns N' Roses album if Slash isn't there. Yeah. Okay? It's fucking Slash. Yeah. Okay? He's just as iconic to Guns N' Roses as Axel ever was. Oh, absolutely. Man. Yeah. If he's not playing that guitar out in the field with a helicopter swooping down on him and stuff, yeah. then who gives a shit? Exactly. You know? So, and, you know, like, you know, and then Axel doesn't even look like Axel. He looks like some weird, like, pink... Fruit Man. Yeah. <laughs> With dreadlocks. <laughs> you don't fucking do that and call it the same band, okay? There's a reason the Red Hot Chili Peppers don't put out albums without Flea. You need Flea there. He's yeah. integral, okay? Yeah. That's that's why it's a band. Bass is the foundation of the band. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So Corgan's like, well, I'm going to keep this name and release albums. Yeah. And maybe... 
people won't notice. It's like, effectively, I'm going to release more solo albums under the name that people like. I'm going to trick people. Right. Yeah. So, the first the, the, the first uh, new Pumpkins album in 07 yeah. was Zeitgeist. Yeah. Zeitgeist I actually don't hate. It's got some solid rock songs on it. Zeitgeist completely failed to stick with me. I couldn't tell you a damn thing about it. Yeah, but there were, like... Like, in his, you know, his previous two efforts, like, the whole time I would just trail off and have no idea what he was doing. I would, like, look up ten minutes later, oh, right, I'm still, this is still on. Yeah. Zeitgeist, at least there were points while I was listening to it where I'm like, oh, wait, this is starting to rock again. Okay, cool, I'm into it. And, you know, five minutes of, you know, decent song would be on. And then i get bored again. And then, you know, maybe ten minutes later it's like, oh, hey, another rock song. And that is what counts as a glowing review for that album. <laughs> I mean, it's not like there aren't a million bands who have put out uneven records. Mm. You know. I don't buy albums anymore because nobody does. Yeah. But there there are plenty of albums throughout the last 20 years where there's one or two good songs and you could give a fuck about the rest of it. That is all too true. Yeah. There's plenty of bands that do that. Good bands. The new Scissor Sisters album is inconsistent. You know, one of the tracks I absolutely love. Some of the other ones are pretty good. And then it's like, oh, there's filler here. Indeed. We don't need filler anymore. This is digital download generation. <laughs> but speaking of filler, uh-huh. uh, Billy and the Pumpkins... Right. Uh, then decide- Billy and the Pumpkins. <laughs> yeah, that's the new band. That's yeah. what we're going to call them. They're not Smashing Pumpkins anymore. Nope. Billy and the Pumpkins yeah. uh, decided to, uh, to, <laughs> to put out uh, a massive 44-track download one at a time project of some sort called I Swear to God... Tear Garden by Kaleidoscope. Yeah, he, he spelled, spelled it that way. He spelled Kaleidoscope wrong. On purpose, didn't To make you. it sound whimsical. Yeah. And Again, you're not Prince. Yeah, well, you're not Prince. You're just even, not. And even Prince didn't do that. <laughs> Prince has misspelled things for fun, you know, or like, use the letter U, or, you know, a picture of an I. Yeah, but they're pronounced the same way. Yeah. Yeah. This is changing the pronunciation to something goofier. That's true, actually. You know, it's like, we get it, Billy. You want to write a musical that Wes Anderson can direct. But you know what? It's not going to happen. Now, hypothetically, I want to point out the idea of composing an epic string of songs, yeah. and each one comes out once a week, yeah. and is a free download, yeah. is potentially really cool. I know this because Jonathan Colton did it a couple years ago, yeah. and he came out with a ton of great songs. He came out with four albums worth of songs. Yeah. Yeah. But Jonathan Colton writes fun, off-the-top-of-his-head comedy songs about, like, science fiction and shit. Yeah. Billy Corgan writes late-period Billy Corgan songs. Right. The thing is, like... And, and, and beyond that, he didn't fucking stick with it. Well, that's the thing. is like, I would be more forgiving if he had actually succeeded in this, you know, project he touted so much. Yeah. In the end, the, the 44 songs, it came out to 12. That's less. Uh, the, there's two five-song EPs that were released in some kind of pretentious box settery. And then two more songs that came out, and then it was like, ah, oh, we'll do an album. Fuck it. And, and again, yeah. the, the, the surviving uh, Tear Garden songs... Yeah. They have their moments of kind of innovative instrumental mm-hmm. composition. I'm not just saying it's all crap. No. At the same time, again, not terribly engaging to listen to. Yeah, and when you're doing them one at a time, you really can't afford to have any crap. Because who knows who's going to come back next week if this week sucked. Well, yeah, exactly. It's like a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But yeah, no, that is definitely an issue with that cycle or whatever of songs. 
also the fact that then he decides, what the hell, I'm going to put out a whole album, and then the new album comes out, and he says, oh, by the way, this is totally part of that other project. And it's like, yeah, sure. And the guys writing Lost planned for it to be the afterlife. The thing is, Oceania, which is the name of the album that came out a couple weeks ago, yeah. it sounds like the Tear Garden by Kaleidoscope songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's ergo boring. Yeah. Like, it's like all of the their recent stuff to me uh-huh. is like a new Rolling Stones album. It really is. It's Unnecessary. Like, it's like, why are you still making albums? Yeah. I get like, that you like playing songs, okay? Yeah. I see, you know, Mick Jagger on stage. I get that he likes... To stand up in front of a crowd and play, you know, Brown Sugar. Yeah. Like, and and fucking uh, Sympathy for the Devil. Yeah. You know, cool. You like playing good songs? Yeah. I got no problem with that. But the Rolling Stones don't need to make more albums. No. They've got, they've written the best songs they're ever going to write. And if they want to continue playing them, cool. They just don't need to write more. Yeah, don't don't tell us, oh, we hear something from the new album. No. Paint It Black and GTFO. Right. Okay. <laughs> and I mean, that sounds like, you know, kind of nostalgic and, and you're not allowed to evolve and whatnot. Yeah. And and it's not that you're not allowed to evolve. If you've got something to say. Yeah, if you can evolve, evolve. By all means, say stuff. I mean, yeah. Paul Westerberg made some good songs after The Replacements broke up. All right? Yes, You he know, did. fucking Frank Black made some good songs after The Pixies broke up. Oh, my God, yes, he did. You can keep going, yeah. okay, if you've got shit to write songs about. Billy Corgan's last couple albums, it's like, you don't really seem to have that emotion, that that fucking rage and frustration and all the stuff that made the first several albums great. So I think in answer uh-huh. to the original question, okay, why Billy Corgan? Yeah. Because he's what's left. I guess. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, everyone else left. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's fucking... Yeah. Yeah, somehow he wound up being the last or one of the last men standing from his era. Yeah. And, yeah, again, I mean, it's cool if you want to do stuff, but it's just, I cannot give a shit about these albums. Yeah, it's like, and Billy Corgan sort of fucks up the, the, the ratio for the for the music I used to love. Uh-huh. Because, you know, I look at the music I used to love from that period, mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah, a lot of the people died. But, you know, if you're dead, you're not embarrassing yourself anymore. Some of them sort of, you know, retired or, you know, don't play anymore or just play the old hits or they produce or they just kind of, you know, do whatever. Few, Very few of them have flat out become embarrassing self-parodies. Yeah, I mean, it happens. It does happen. But it happens a lot more to the music that my sister was into, a lot of the pop and the R&B, a lot of those people have become embarrassing self-parodies in much greater numbers. It was funny when the boy bands all came back. Oh, yeah. That was yeah. Uh, that was amusing, you know. Yeah. It's nothing, like, nothing against Timberlake, but yeah. it was weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, Billy Corgan fucks out that ratio, because Billy Corgan goes on the internet and is like, I think I'd like to get involved in professional wrestling. That's true, yeah. He started a, a new wrestling organization. Yeah. Which I don't have a problem with. I mean, you know, wrestling's cool. I don't know how many wrestling organizations the fan base can support. It's yeah. like, you know, you got your WWE, mm-hmm. and you got your TNA, and you got your Mexicans, and you got your Japanese, and <laughs> I don't know what they're, I don't know what they're, they're, Organization. Luchadors, man, that's all you need to say. Uh, the Luchadors are cool. Yeah. You know, fucking El Santos. But, uh. <laughs> wow. But, 
You know, and then you got your like smaller circuits. You yeah, know, your your local guys and stuff. Yeah, you yeah. kind of minor guys. If you're gonna come in and like start a big new brand, yeah, how many hours a week do wrestling fans want to watch wrestling? Because even the most successful, commercially successful one, yeah, is on at least two hours a week, and then they got a pay per view every damn day. Yeah, so it's like and, how and, and, you know, and really, it's like, is it even gonna be on TV? Has he worked this out? I mean, what happened? Did he was he sitting at home and he's like, well, the Juggalos did it, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Is this the thing for Billy Corgan to do? He had shown no signs of that prior to announcing it. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, Nick. In this instance, why Billy Corgan? If Jackie Chan said, I want to start a mixed martial arts federation... I would watch because it's Jackie Chan. It's like yeah, no. he's gonna he's gonna have some cool ideas. I want to see guys fighting with ladders and pool cues. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Billy Corgan doesn't like you. Write songs. Yeah. What are you doing? It's like are they gonna be hitting each other with guitars? Yeah. No. Then I don't care. You're not a wrestle man. What's going on? So yeah, I don't know what's up with that. Yeah. <laughs> and that brings us up to the present. Yeah. Yeah. That's the story of Billy Corgan. Billy That's fucking the legend. Corgan. Yeah. Now you know everything you need to know. The rise and fall, man. <laughs> yeah, and the, you know, to be continued. We don't know what he's going to do next. Indeed, Billy Corgan carries on. He raises high the standard of what the fuckery. Yeah. Yeah. And not in the way I want him to. Yeah. You know. So, uh. Yeah. Yeah. That's about it. That's about it. Until next week. That's why, Billy Corgan. That's why. Thank <laughs> you.